Welcome to the For Future Reference podcast. I'm Mark Fraunfelder, a research director at Institute for the Future. You can find out more about Institute for the Future and what we do at iftf.org. In 2016, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists released the Panama Papers, a massive cache of 11.5 million records leaked from the law firm Mossack Fonseca, revealing that several heads of state had been sheltering their personal wealth in offshore accounts to evade taxes. This wasn't surprising. After all, dictators are known for draining public coffers and hoarding the ill-gotten funds in secret accounts. What's more disturbing is learning that well-known global corporations and civic leaders have been doing the same thing for decades and getting away with it. Mossack Fonseca specializes in setting up untraceable shell companies. There's nothing overtly illegal about them, but they're often used by political and financial elites to hide assets, dodge taxes, and launder money. Creating shell companies is a big business, and Mossack Fonseca is just one of many firms that do it. The Financial Accountability and Corporate Transparency Coalition says shell companies house up to $21 trillion globally. By way of comparison, the U.S. gross domestic product for 2015 was $18 trillion. The firms employing the services of Mossack Fonseca include a rogues gallery of brand-name corporations with a track record of breaking financial regulations with virtual impunity. Remember back in 2013 when HSBC was slapped with a $1.9 billion fine by the U.S. Department of Justice for laundering drug cartel money? Its fine amounted to less than one-tenth of its annual profits. And remember when UBS was caught in 2012 spreading false information to manipulate banking exchange rates? It was fined $1.5 billion, which sounds like a lot, until you learn that UBS's revenues are almost $40 billion a year. Both banks are clients of Mossack Fonseca. The reason banks and financial institutions are ignoring regulations comes down to simple economics. The organized criminal economy is over $2 trillion a year, and someone has to launder it, says Drew Sullivan, co-founder and editor of the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project and a 2014 Institute for the Future fellow. He says, you can either be a bank that takes that money or a bank that doesn't take that money. Because nobody is penalizing you seriously for this, and nobody holds it against you, you don't get a reputation of being a bad bank, and you can keep doing this. These slap-on-the-wrist fines are simply the cost of doing business, says Sullivan, who compares the bank's criminal behavior to the Koch brothers' modus operandi, violate sanctions and fight the fines in court for as long as possible. He says it's a risk minimization plan rather than an honorable business. In 2016, I interviewed Sullivan, shortly after the release of the Panama Papers. Hi, Drew. It looks like we're seeing an intertwining of the black market economy and the so-called legitimate economy, where the two are kind of becoming indistinguishable from each other. And the Panama Papers are a good example of this. Absolutely. In fact, I'm writing something on that for foreign policy as we speak. So it's it's the um, what, what you what you can tell from looking at the you know what kind of happened in the uh, in the 90s when the wall fell. You had you had a lot of countries who are kind of became democratic, and then um, democracy didn't quite take, and uh, a lot of assets became available, and the political elite who kind of controlled these countries, kind of eventually leveraged everything away from the state and became kind of these autocratic leaders. Um, and then they, uh, 
they needed to kind of match the they needed to get into the western business world and they kind of did it by going offshore and by you know uh you know creating kind of a facade a fake facade of western business in their countries through these kind of offshore accounts and these activities and um it's so prevalent in certain parts of the world that it really is almost competing with the legitimate economies in most parts of the world and that's what that's what kind of in these panama papers we've been seeing it's so extensive it's so huge in terms of amount of money and in these countries it's such a regular it's par for the course it's it's just the way that you do business you know no nobody does any business without setting up an offshore company um and so you're getting kind of this criminal economy um, that's legitimized in, in large parts of the world, China, Russia, you know, most of the developing world. Um, and it's kind of competing against the model of kind of, you know, capitalism, traditional model of capitalism, based on transparency. You know, this is based on non-transparency. Um, and it's, it's kind of scary. I'd like to hear your thoughts on non-transparency. Creating an untraceable shell company isn't in itself an illegal thing to do, but it seems to me the only reason that you would do it would be to do things like dodge sanctions or evade taxes or launder money. Right. I mean, it, it's, 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 it corrupts the basic concept of what a company was. You know, a company was, you know, a business you set up to, to do some kind of trade, and now you had one business. Now you have dozens and dozens of businesses. They're used on only one deal, you know, and the, the fastest growing part of the world economy is in these kind of areas like Russia and, and China and places like that. Um, and this is norm for them, you know, this kind of mix of legal and illegal business. Um, and, and that's really what the fundamental problem is, you know, so that the, the, the kind of, you know, capitalism is kind of an agreed way on doing things. And when it's being challenged by this kind of new way, which is completely non-transparent, um, you know, it raises some serious questions. Um, and it, it causes problems and it causes this, you know, split between the wealthy who can do these types of things and those that, that are not wealthy and can't do those types of things. When you look at some of the people and companies who are on this roster of these leaked documents, including HBSC and UBC, both of which are giant banks that were slapped with relatively inconsequential fines for laundering money for drug cartels or manipulating exchange rates. I think the concern a lot of people have is that even though regulations are set up to prevent this, they get slapped with such inconsequential penalties that it's just business as usual for these guys. It's, it's the cost of doing business. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It's the cost of doing business. You know, it, your, your options are, it's, it's the Koch brother model, you know, um, you know, violate all the environmental sanctions and then just fight every fine in court for as long as you can and minimize the, the damage. So, you know, you make a lot of money, um, and you minimize, it's, it's kind of a risk minimization plan rather than like, you know, honorable, you know, business. And I think you're seeing that with banks because, you know, here, here's a here's a deal. I mean, uh, you know, the the illegal economy is about two trillion dollars a year. You know, that's got to go somewhere. And you know, you can either be a bank who takes that money or a bank that doesn't take that money. And that's going to be a big difference between whether you're a big bank or a small bank. And so, because nobody is penalizing you seriously for this, and nobody holds it against you, you don't get a reputation of being a bad bank. 
you know, um, uh, then you can keep doing this. And, and you know, you, when, when you've got, you know, firms in China and Russia and Mexico and, and all these big countries that have huge economies that, that will actually go to you because you're, you know, um, you're a little bit corrupt, you know, it makes it, it makes it much, much worse. And that's the problem. And what, what you're seeing is banks, especially the Swiss banks, on really serious problems because, you know, in, in the past you could, you don't want to lose those good relations and that good reputation. Now there's too much money in these corrupt countries and you don't want to lose that new business. And to, to, to get that kind of business, you have to be kind of shady and they want a bank that's shady. And so, you know, the, 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 the big banks that are growing are places like Spare Bank and, you know, uh, Paribas and, and these banks that have long catered to criminal elements. Um, and so it, 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 you know, it, it makes it an unfair market situation and being good is bad for business. The other concern, I think, is that we, as law-abiding citizens, use these banks without knowing that they're doing these kinds of shady things. For quite a while, I was a UBC customer myself. We're all part of this now. The problem is in the old days, you could kind of boycott and say, that's bad. But nowadays, you know, you can't do that because, you know, if they see corruption, you know, the other companies are going to come to it and say, good, these people are a little bit fast and loose with the rules. And that's what we kind of need. You know, I mean, I did it myself. I, I, I set up an account in the United States at HSBC and I didn't have all the documentation, but I knew HSBC is completely crooked and they don't really care, you know, who the customer is. So I didn't have all my paperwork in order and I set up at HSBC. It, it, it's a, it's a growing sector of the economy and it's going to be, um, it's going to, it's going to put pressure on more and more people that are, you know, uh, not criminal to be criminal. And that's the whole thing. You're fighting for the middle ground. You know, 20% of the population will never do anything wrong. And 20% of the population will do everything wrong that they can. And if, you know, in, in my part of the world where I live, does the 20% who does everything wrong is in the ascendancy. They're the bullies who run the countries. Um, and so the other 80, 60% go along with them because that's the environment that they've created. And so everything becomes criminal. And we're seeing a switch where, you know, the, the legitimate people are kind of, you know, uh, are, are being outnumbered by the bad actors. And you potentially could have a, you know, switch over where large numbers of the people who will just follow the crowd start acting criminally because that's what they've been, you know, that's what, that's what the norm is to them. Drew, tell me about how OCCRP, the organization that you co-founded, is combating global organized crime. You kind of have a unique model for doing that. Yeah, I mean, our, our philosophy is that um, you have to basically, you know, uh, demystify organized crime and get all the information out and on the table so that it can actually be looked at and it can be debated. You know, we want to we want to show who these guys are because they're not nice people. We want to kind of paint a picture of how they do business. We want to show who the victims are of this kind of behavior, and uh, we want to do it in an aggressive way. You know, in the the old days, you know, they used to say, "Well, you just name and shame." Well, you know, when people have no shame, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? So we kind of call it hack and track. And basically what we do is we follow them all around uh, and track them through public records and other 
data sources and and you know show exactly what business dealings they're doing, who they're working with, um, and and to to not make it look like a nice bank like USB, but but show that you know it's a company that relies on criminality that is rotten to the core, um, you know that, that that is that is fundamentally corrupt, which many many businesses are. Um, and uh, and then let the people decide. I mean, I think people will always do the right thing. Um, you know, it, you know that that middle ground will always go in the favorable way if they think that you know it's being it's being uh, you know um, watched and um, you know things are good. So I, I live in a, a place that's completely and utterly corrupt, and um, you know it makes you appreciate. Um, you know, places that are not corrupt. Um, you know, everything is corrupt where I am. I wanted to interrupt here and say that Drew lives in a country in Eastern Europe. It's very difficult to make a living. Everything, you know, criminality is guided by politics rather than, you know, law and justice. And um, you, 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 you cannot believe what a world like that is like. But it's a nightmare, and it's a nightmare for everybody that's in it. And, you know, uh, we, you know, we want everybody to know, you know, what people are doing. So that's kind of the, the philosophy behind us. And, and we do it kind of by setting up a platform for investigative reporting that others can attach to and work on and do stuff in. So, um, you know, it's, it's, we, we try to provide the resources, the environment, the skills, the editors, uh, everything so that people can attach to us and do great work. Drew, I agree with you that I think this kind of global corruption is one of the worst things that's happening globally right now. But how can an ordinary citizen help to stop corruption? Well, I think I think the first thing is to not accept it. You know, um, you know, it, it, we we each have to make decisions in our lives, and um, we often don't have that information. But um, you know, when we do have the information, there's a lot of stuff that's been you know in, in the in the political context and and in the business context. Where people say, "Well, that's okay. That's how it's done now," or you know, to, to to fight those individual battles to say, you know, no, I won't be part of that, or I think that that's wrong. You know, it, it's that fight for the middle ground when enough people say, "No, well, it's okay to set up an offshore, or, you know, hide your assets from your spouse in case you're getting a divorce or any other thing that's going on," and, and to basically just fight those on an individual level. The other thing is just, um, you know, educating. Uh, um, you know, educating themselves on what's really happening. You know, you have the truth is out there, but you have to go look for it. You know, it's not where it is. We have more information than ever before, and yet we're more hoodwinked by the information. There's more misinformation. There's more propaganda. You know, there's more public relations out there than ever before. We we know less because we get more information and we adopt it too quickly. Whereas in the old days, you know, it took a long time before you, you know, felt you learned something. Um, now I think, you know, we, we have to move much quicker and it, it, it leads opportunities for people to be misinformed. And you see it in the elections now with all sorts of people having all sorts of crazy ideas on what's really happening in the world despite all the evidence that's out there. So, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's educating yourself and connecting yourself to the places where there's good information. And then, you know, um, supporting organizations and, and things that, that, you know, educate and expose rather than, you know, misinform, you know, to, to get involved in. It, the, the most precious thing is going to become the truth. 
I mean, that's the bad thing about it is, is it, you know, it's just, you know, in a way we're moving towards 1984, you know, um, you know, where, where, you know, it, it, the misinformation, um, becomes a, a, a character in itself, um, that, that, that basically controls politics, controls business, controls people's lives. And we're seeing that again in the elections. Human beings are easily hoodwinked. We, we love to get some idea in our, in our mind and keep, you know, with it for a long time because it's kind of ugly to have to face reality and truths and stuff like that. So, you know, you have to have your eyes open and jump into this and, and, you know, um, constantly be fighting. And, you know, I remember my grandpa when I was a young, young boy, every time I tell him something, he would look at me with a scowl and say, cite your sources, boy, cite your sources. It, it was a weird lesson for a kid, but, you know, I, what I learned was that, you know, you, you, you know, you, you can't just think something. You have to have gone out and, and, and found information, educated yourself, looked at it, compared, analyzed, and do it. And, you know, we're, we're in a system where, you know that kind of rigor um, is not is not uh, uh, as common as it used to be. I think that that there's so little analysis. Uh, what, what's passed off analysis is so weak nowadays um, that that we're really doing ourselves a disservice. And uh, there's there's more people and there's more analysts than ever before. I don't know why this is happening, but it's it's disturbing. And that's what we're trying to. We're, you know, the whole we're. Everybody always tells us we're going the wrong direction. You know, you're going depth, you're going content, you're going, you know, make your stories shorter. You know, we're not. We're making our stories deeper. You know, we're, we're, we're going farther. We're, we're getting more content. Our stories now are 11 pages long. Every single consultant in the world tells me I'm stupid, you know, but I think that that's what's needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're going in the right direction. Otherwise, it's just a soundbite for instant outrage, and then you switch over to whatever the next thing is to get your limbic system excited. Twitter thinking. Can you imagine in Athens if we were only allowed to, to, to debate things with uh, 140 characters, you know? And it's interesting, too, how Twitter is, I think, becoming less popular. I think people might be realizing that they're missing out on an important conversation by just staying on Twitter all day. It's the illusion of educating yourself. Drew, thank you. You've been listening to the For Future Reference podcast. If you'd like to subscribe, just enter For Future Reference podcast in the search bar of your favorite browser. To find out more about Institute for the Future, go to iftf.org.